Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and show no respect to anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them, and yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise <clears throat> A few weeks ago, my campus ministry students and I went to Wilson's Apple Orchard. I've been making this annual trek with students for about eight years now, and it's always a lot of fun. We pick apples, and then we come back to my house, and I teach students how to bake apple pies. The first year I did this, we dumped the baskets of apples on my table, and I asked the students to find an apple that best represented each one of them. I thought that it would be a light-hearted exercise, but alas, it was not. The apple conversation started with the obvious physical characteristics. For example, I like this apple because it's plump and sturdy, like me, one student said. Another student said, I like this apple because it's shiny and bright, like me. Another student said, I like this apple because it's small and sweet, like me. But then things dove unexpectedly deep. I chose this apple, another student said, because it's bruised. That's how I feel. I chose this apple because it was on the ground, and sometimes I feel like I don't have the strength to hang on. I chose this apple because it's disfigured, and sometimes I feel like I don't fit in. I chose this apple because it's mushy and riddled with holes, and that's how I feel about myself. So it turns out apples can represent people. Some apples look perfectly fine on the outside, but are dry and mealy on the inside. Some apples are sour, some are sweet, some are hard and crisp, some are mushy and soft, some are unblemished, some are rotten to the core. Some are thick-skinned, nothing seems to hurt them. Others are thin-skinned, sensitive somehow. Some soften when heated, some hold their shape, some blend well with others in pies and such, others don't. I have decided that I I'm a thin-skinned apple with a strong core, meaning I'm extremely sensitive, yet I have a pretty solid sense of self. I fall in the middle between sweet and sour due to my grandma's sweet influence and my mother's harsh Irish tongue. Sometimes I blend well with others, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I soften under pressure, sometimes I remain quite firm. You would do well to consider what kind of apple you are. 
In the book of Genesis, Jacob is a wormy apple. He has a past. It's not brilliant. His very name means the supplanter, which means one who seizes, circumvents, usurps. It means one will do anything they need to do to get what they want by any means necessary. Jacob is scheming and crafty. Jacob is a twin. And even while in the womb, the brothers fight. During birth even, Jacob grabs the heel of his firstborn twin brother Esau, trying to pull him out of the way so that he could be firstborn, which must have been a lot of fun for his mother, Rebecca. Later, Jacob tries and succeeds in tricking his older brother Esau out of his firstborn birthright by taking advantage of his father's blindness. Jacob will get ahead no matter the cost, even to his own family, his conscience, and even his relationship to God. In other words, in every relationship that Jacob has with himself, with his brother, with God, it's all born of struggle. A tugging back and forth between the expected thing and the right thing. I feel this is the appropriate time to point out that my second born is also named Jacob. But it's not because he's a cheat or a supplanter. It's because he wrestles. While in utero, Jacob kicked, like violently kicked, whenever I preached at church. His older brother Christian, in utero, rolled around almost rhythmically when church music played. Philip, my youngest, fell asleep always in church, in utero, peaceful and still, lulled by the liturgy and the hymnody. But Jacob fought in the womb when I preached, and I was nervous when his time was nearing, and farmers in my congregation noticed my discomfort during worship and leaned forward in their pews in anticipation of assisting his birth, armed with their knowledge of pulling calves which made me shudder with fear and resolve never to go into labor during worship in a small rural church. I was glad when Jacob was finally born one bitterly cold day in November. While my Jacob is clever and strategic and very strong, the last thing he is is a cheat. His sense of integrity runs astonishingly deep. He accepts nothing at face value. Instead, he wrestles with a thing until he unearths the truth in it. Even wrestled in junior high, which I hated, making the biblical allegory to his namesake almost too much to handle, although thankfully no one ever kicked his hip out of joint. Now we return to biblical Jacob and leave son Jacob in peace. Biblical Jacob is not satisfied with the cultural and religious norms of his time. Why should Esau have the birthright just because he was born first and I was born three minutes later, literally right on his heels? Why should I be relegated to second place, second born for the rest of my life when I know that I am the born leader? Why is my lot in life determined purely by random chance? These norms are unfair and unjust, and Jacob will do whatever he needs to do to circumvent them. Sometimes he makes choices that hurt others. Sometimes he makes choices that we question 
or maybe even judge. But from the beginning, Jacob knows that he's a leader. He is the one to inherit God's promise given to his father and grandfather, not his brother Esau. Jacob's whole life's mantra is, right or wrong, I know who I am, now get out of my way. His decisions obviously lead to a traumatic break in his relationship between himself and his brother Esau, culminating in this chapter from Genesis in our first lesson for today. Today we find Jacob on the banks of the river, of the river Jabbok, knowing he's about to get what's coming to him. He has left his uncle Laban and is journeying to his father's land in Canaan, promised to him by God. He brings with him everything he owns in the entire world. His estranged brother Esau catches wind of his brother's journey, and Jacob, being clever, sends messengers ahead of himself with gifts to appease his brother. Look, brother Esau, here are oxen and donkeys and flocks and slaves. Take them as a gesture of goodwill from your loving brother Jacob. The messengers come back saying, hey, your brother's coming to meet you, along with 400 men. So Jacob, full of panic and despair, understandably so, divides his remaining possessions, his wives, yes, they were possessions at that time, slaves and flocks and cattle, and instructs them to go ahead of him the next day in order to appease Esau with his wealth, his prosperity, his generosity, while he remained safely behind both companies so as to ascertain his brother's mood and intentions. See? So clever. But there's a fine line between shrewd and slimy. So Jacob takes these two companies of his wives and servants and livestock and children and wealth and settles them safely on one side of the river Jabbok, and then he returns to the opposite bank to spend the night alone, preparing to face his brother the next day and get what he deserves. While he secretly dreads his brother's justified judgment, he knows his plan is in place, one that will surely save his face and his life, maybe at the cost of his slaves and flocks and cattle and herds, but nonetheless he knows he will prevail no matter what the cost. He's Jacob, after all. A wormy apple, this one. But then Jacob is suddenly attacked, and he wrestles all night long, alone on the banks of the river. Jabbok, who attacks him? And who is he wrestling with? Is Jacob asleep? And is this whole thing a nightmare of guilty conscience? Or... Is he wrestling with some robber wandering the riverbanks trying to get past this gatekeeper whose riches and wealth lie just across the river? Is Jacob wrestling with God in an epic battle of good and evil, dominance and power? We don't know. It doesn't matter, I guess. I think... In my opinion, it's all of the above. Whoever the adversary is, though, it's not a figment of Jacob's imagination because Jacob limps for the rest of his life after his opponent kicks his hip out of joint. Whoever this adversary is, Jacob puts up a good fight. So good, in fact, that the adversary resorts to giving him a cheap shot in order to win. It's the biblical equivalent of karate kids sweep the leg. Remember that? 
this angel man, God, kicks Jacob in the hip and leaves, leaving Jacob with a limp and a bizarre memory of a wrestling match on a muddy river bank. But before his rival leaves, he christens Jacob with a new name because Jacob has proven his strength and his resilience. He is no longer Jacob, which means supplanter. He is now Israel, which means one who wrestles and prevails. And this is the midnight reckoning that humans grapple with. In restless dreams and sweaty tossing and turning, we all wrestle with memories of who we've been, and who we are, who we might become. In drowsy semi-consciousness, we silently confess our names like Jacob did. I am Jacob, he said. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I've failed to do. All of that is contained within my name. I'm Jacob. This is what I push back against, birth order rights and cultural privilege. I have said and I have done things to claw my way to the position I feel I was born for, to lead God's people to my father's land, if not as a sinless man, then at least as an honest one. I'm Jacob, he confesses to his wrestling partner. Have I cheated? Yeah. Have I schemed? Yes. Have I resisted what others have expected of me? Yes. Right or wrong, I've done what I must. So when you ask me my name, I will tell you my name. And in telling you my name, I confess to you all who I am. I am bruised, I am wormy, but pray do not destroy me because I'm still good at the core, still worthy of redemption. I'll take your kick and I'll accept the limp because I deserve it. But please spare my life. Because at my core, I am good. Struggling with your conscience, or your past, or your perception of who God is or might be, is painful. Searching for your identity as a human, as a citizen, as an employer or employee, as a mother, father, son or daughter, husband or wife, as a child of God, this is painful stuff. Existential struggle hurts. Faith struggles hurt. To be Christian means to never again be comfortable. It hurts. It means to wrestle. It means to struggle, to push back against what is expected, and to fight for what is right, to advocate for the second born, second place, second rate, even if history damns you. To be Christian means to love all people, especially ones whom history overlooks and relegates to second class due to skin color or socioeconomic status or sexual orientation or gender identity or geographic location. Random chance of birthplace or skin color or gender have no bearing on worth as a child of God. These are worthy and sacred struggles, but these struggles hurt, and they'll leave you with a limp. In the end, we are all wormy apples, not just Jacob. We all deserve to be tossed into the trash because we're broken and bruised and mushy and full of holes 
that God does not toss us into the trash because God is a God of grace. Trust me. I am aware that this apple analogy is the height of kitschiness, but I also believe it works. Because however we define ourselves, thick-skinned, sour, mealy, bruised, wormy, God loves us. And here's our confessions when we speak our names, just as Jacob did. I am Jacob. He says, this is all that I am. Speak your name boldly, as Jacob did, and know that your name and all that is carried with it, bruises and worms and all, will never separate you from God's love. You're welcome, by the way, for offering you the lovely autumnal apple imagery rather than further pursuing the wrestling theme, which would have forced us to consider the appalling wrestling uniform, I think it's called the singlet. The image of the kingdom of God filled with an infinite variety of apples is far better than the image of a kingdom filled with Lutherans wearing wrestling singlets, which is too much to unpack for now and maybe a sermon for another day. Amen.